0: Well, good evening everybody. Uh, Welcome. I'm Paul Gilroy from the LSE Sociology Department and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the school this evening uh, to hear our distinguished speaker, Professor Zygmunt Bauman. Support for this evening uh, comes from the Department of Sociology but more importantly from the Ralph Miliband Program. Professor Bauman has agreed uh, to speak for some 50 minutes and then to take some questions from you, after which we invite you to join us upstairs for a reception. It's a great honor for me to introduce uh, Zygmunt Bauman, whose humanity and acuity and curiosity have generated such a stream of stimulating publications precisely addressed to the crisis of our age. As you know, and as the uh, scale of this evening's uh, attendance uh, testifies, His influence is a a global one, and the importance of it, I think, has grown. Has grown as the tribunes of ignorance and docility and complacency have won a hearing for their dubious proposition that the traditions of critical reflection in which Zygmunt Bauman stands have somehow run these days out of steam. Well, as you will see and hear, nothing is further from the truth. And amidst the uh, corrosive potency of liquid modernity, which requires me to ask you to turn off your phones, please, there are some things which are apparently unmeltable. A primary concern with ethics, an advocacy for the importance of sociology as a project, particularly in its more speculative and interpretive varieties. And lastly, and most importantly, an engagement with the left and with hope which supplies the orientation for this evening's lecture. Does the future have a left? Professor Sigmund Bauman.
1: I will give it only 50 minutes, so please don't disturb me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the world has changed. The political game has changed, and uh, the stakes of political game has changed uh, quite considerably since I was here at LSC 55 years ago uh, to do my post-grad stint. And when I first met Ralph Miliband, who fortunately for me became my dearest friend uh, for many, many years to come. My dearest friend, and as well Ralph Miliband, the great political thinker of the 20th century. I said that uh, the world has changed, the game, political game has changed, and the stake of the game has ch- have changed. Uh, if I uh, offered such a uh, topic for discussion 55 years ago, which I o- am offering now, has future left. I would say, I, uh, well, I don't believe I would give such a, it would occur to me uh, to give such a topic. But uh, if I did, just in case, uh, I suppose that if uh, I answer to this question negatively, uh, everybody, well, you probably, sitting, your predecessor sitting in this room, would say, Bauman is an optimist. If I if I said no to this question, they would say, oh, Bauman is a pessimist. Why? Because uh, at that time, most of the people here at the RSC were quite convinced that uh, introduction of the good society is just around the corner, one way or the other, through revolution or reform. There was uh, difference of opinion. But nevertheless, we are very close. future. If there is a future separating socialist idea, left wing idea from implementation, it's a short future. Um, And if I said that, yes, future has a left, that means, oh, ah, so much work still to be done, we haven't done, we haven't started yet uh, seriously. Well, uh, the sign of the world changing is that uh, your probably opinion. Of my yes or no answer would be exactly the opposite today. Uh, if I said that uh, the future has no, uh, that future has no left, would say, oh yes, yes. Uh, unfortunately, he is pessimistic, but maybe right. right. Uh, if I uh, said that the future has a left, well, you probably would uh, think very many of you that I'm unforgivably unforgivably optimistic, perhaps even utopian. Well, let's just to put in the historical perspective what I'm going to say now. Uh, What I'm going to say now is that I don't in my long life uh, remember such a uh, depth to which uh, the left representing, left self-defining political movements, political parties descended. Uh, I often ask myself a question, do social democrats today know where are they aiming? Do they have a notion at all of good society, of good society worth fighting for? Uh, Well, typical for me was Chancellor Schroeder, who was uh, uh, the uh, Chancellor of the (coughs) Social Democratic Government in um, Germany, uh, who, uh, pointing to Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, uh, pointed out that there is no such thing as socialist economy or capitalist economy. The only difference is between good economy and bad economy. And uh, it was very symptomatic. I think that this one statement, and I don't remember any loud protest against him saying that uh, on the benches of the Social Democratic Party in Germany, uh, yet characterizes the situation of the left today. Uh, Let me quote from uh, Jose Saramago, the great uh, Portuguese novel writer, but also deeply profoundly thinking and deeply feeling participant of the political struggles. Well, he said already, he noted already in June uh, 2009 uh, in his diary, posthumously published, that uh, the left does not appear to have noticed that it has become very much like the right. (laughs) And I quote, quote would be extensive, but I think it is worth quotation. A movement that in the past succeeded in representing one of the greatest hopes for humanity, capable of spurring us to action by the simple resort of an appeal to what is best in human nature, I saw over the passage of time undergoing a change in its social composition, daily moving further away from its early promises, becoming more and more like its old adversaries and enemies, as if this were the only possible means of achieving acceptance. And so ending up becoming a faint replica of what it once was, employing concepts to justify certain actions which it formerly used to argue against precisely the same actions. It has sold out to the right. And once it realizes this, it can ask itself what has created the entrenched distance between it and its natural supporters, the poor, the needy, but also the dreamers, in relation to what still remains of its principles. For it is no longer possible to vote for the left if the left has ceased to exist. I'm not going perhaps that far. I'm not not uh, saying... I'm not thinking that uh, uh, left is deceased. I'm thinking that he's taking afternoon nap and probably will wake up again. Uh, so don't take it for death yet. But certainly, obviously, we need to try to understand how and why we got to this point, which, to say, is a very uncomfortable and very unpleasant point. Well, the historical defeat of Soviet communism has a lot to do with it. Uh, Even more so because it was uh, very skillfully used, Um, it was recycled by all sorts of uh, right-wing spin doctors. Mind you, not only left governments have spin doctors, right uh, governments have them as well. Uh, So it was recycled into a final uh, irrevocable verdict passed on the very idea of socialism, uh, the proof that any attempt at socialism would produce, um, as it did certainly in the Soviet Union, both political tyranny and economic (laughs) inefficiency. Well, uh, the truth was slightly different. The truth was slightly different, the difference was that it's difficult to imagine now, but when I was very, very young, when I was a child, it was left who set the agenda, political agenda. It was Russian Revolution which raised very momentous questions related to society. The class dimension of power, the problem of social justice, the issue of free education, social services, and many other questions which the capitalism had to take into account, just adapt itself to the new stakes of political game imposed by this upheaval. It did it much more skillfully than uh, Soviet uh, Communists did. Well, uh, uh, it had the power of adaptation, power of reasoning, which probably was missing on the other side. The result was that uh, one might say, after Roberto Toscano, the Italian uh, political thinker and diplomat, that communism was very good for those who had the fortune not to live under it. Uh, because the shape of capitalism, shape taken by capitalism uh, in uh, 20th century, a very good part of uh, great uh, 20th century, uh, was dictated by the absolute necessary, unavoidable need to compete with uh, the promise which the communism, communist idea and why. Wi- wider the socialist idea contained well uh, after communist collapse however capitalism as if answered no more questions no more questioning concepts. and i would say that it went back to the ungenerated unregenerated uh, rene- core contesting the legitimacy of social dimensions of uh, political power and even of politics as an autonomous dimension. and went back to the idolatric and single-minded worship of the bottom line of money, seen as a goal instead of a tool for guaranteeing a humane and full life for the majority of the people. What we are witnessing today is a true regression to atavistic capitalism, the kind of capitalism, rapacious capitalism, uh, which has been recorded by uh, two hot headed youngsters from over Rhine uh, in Communist Manifesto. Their names were Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. And it's amazing, try to read again today Communist Manifesto after all these years and it doesn't read any longer as a, some sort of an abstract, fantastic uh, ideological statement. Uh, it see, reads today, again, after a long, long interruption, as an extremely punctual and convincing portrayal of the world at the end of the first decade of the 21st century. That came, really, as a surprise. Um, we are as if back to the square one. The problem, however, is that the position occupied by the left so far is assaulted on both sides. On one side, I just mentioned, which uh, the stakes of the game have been raised considerably. The uh, left has to confront the uh, kind of capitalism <clears> which, uh, well, uh, it was widely believed, has been long time ago defeated, it's a matter of the past, it won't regenerate, it won't, it, won't, it won't come back. Well, it did. It did. The scale of human misery, the scale of inequality, the scale of human humiliation. Uh, and the uh, scale to which uh, the the distaste of uh, community, nation-state, to take care of uh, their indolent, of their impoverished, uh, of their unable to act in this uh, competitive society, now reached a very, very low level. Uh, But on the other side, what has happened, uh, the political, sorry, social structures, social morphology, social tissue, so to speak, which naturally and massively produced solidarity of the oppressed. Now, this uh, natural environment of the old left has been during the... uh, political and social development of the last 50-60 years completely, uh, almost completely dismantled. Vladislav Inozemtsev? I recommend it to your attention if you didn't come across him yet. Uh, He is presently, in my view, uh, probably the most uh, outstanding political thinker in Mm. Russia. Now he uh, produced an article analyzing the, uh, the end of the great idea that was the title. Uh, in which he says that um, uh, uh, that uh, the uh, first of all, the working class, the natural uh, constituency of the left for something like 150 or even more years, Uh, industrial working class fighting for the uh, vindication of injustices it suffered has shrunk to the marginal position in Western society, repeating the same process which was passed by the agricultural labor 100 years before. The other thing is that the sharpest and uh, the most offensively the, the sharpest and the most spectacular social inequalities characteristic for contemporary western societies are not longer are no longer those between capital and capital and labor, and the most offensively gigantic fortunes are no longer fruits of the factory-based exploitation of labor, which makes, uh, on the one hand, the case of uh, the left, well, theoretically speaking, much weaker, on the other hand, the chances of mobilization, of recasting the aggregate of diffuse, individualized, lonely sufferers into a united political forces, the chances of solidarity uh, became much, much smaller than once were, and, uh, according to some (laughs) symptoms, may uh, disappear altogether. That's two points which have changed in the social basis of the left and which explain, I think, much more than the collapse of the uh, Soviet communist system, uh, um, diminished uh, its range of options, range of possibilities. The third one, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thing which happened, um, apart from the two I I have spoken about a moment ago, uh, was that uh, solidarity was a phenomenon endemic to now bygone society of producers, to the society where uh, people, individuals, were invoked primarily as future workers and industrial workers, and uh, in this role have been treated and in this role have been groomed to participation in social life. They were uh, naturally in a power-assisted way, so to speak, condensed uh, in the same uh, geographical, topographical space. Uh, They lived in the same town, next to the uh, mine, next to the dock, next to the factory. Uh, They were collected in great masses uh, under the same roof, in uh, massive modern industrial factories. And uh, they looked around and they saw, daily, during their stint, inside the factory, and in their times of leisure, in uh, uh, in pubs afterwards, when they met the same friends who accompanied them during the working day, uh, they looked around and they saw that, uh, well, my suffering has not suffered by myself alone. We are all in the same plight by United uh, uh, Forces, by standing shoulder to shoulder, we can perhaps change the rules of the game a little bit to our advantage. Uh, now we are living, ladies and gentlemen, in society of consumers, not society of pro- producers. Uh, the riches are made in the process of selling, and the riches are made in the process of seducing, not normative regulation, not surveyors, not forcing to work uh, under the rhythm imposed by by designed moves and measured time. Uh, But uh, uh, through the process of uh, of sed- seduction of the future consumers. We are all cast into position of consumers. We are asked to establish, to reassert to assert ourselves in society, to establish our identity and position in society through selecting among enticing offers of consumers' styles. Uh, that new casting overshadows all class differences. As consumers, we are all asked, we are all addressed by the same kind of commercial uh, texts, uh, by the same uh, P.O. uh, initiatives, and uh, nothing. Is dividing us from this point of view, apart from the content of our wallet and the content of our uh, well, if you have them, the number of uh, if you have them, uh, credit card. Uh, w- this mass, I suggest to you that. Uh, instead of using the already uh, outdated concept of proletariat one should rather speak about precariat 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 from the French name precarité or precariousness um, the the mass of individuals aggregate of the individuals precarious so to speak uh, have nothing in common or very little in common apart from all being taxpayers that's how uh, political parties vying with each other to get uh, access to the government of the country appeal to to the taxpayers no wonder that the extant heirs of uh, social democratic movements have their eyes focused on the so-called middle ground not so long ago referred to as middle classes, and rally to the defense of the taxpayer, no longer ostensibly divided by their interests, and so being the sole public from which a solidary electoral support seems feasible and plausible to be obtained. Well, no room here, obviously, to the utopia of one's own. No room, it seems, of one's own specifically left program, specifically left vision of new society. There are uh, uh, two ways in which uh, contemporary left starts, tries, if it does, to defy itself. Well, one way is uh, whatever you can do, you, right, can do, I can do better. So whatever you want to achieve, if I am in government, it will be much more effectively done. That's the one way. The other way is uh, collect all sorts of discriminated discriminated against people, people in oppression, people suffering for one reason or another, and try in, to compose out of that uh, so-called Rainbow Coalition, which was a very fashionable uh, slogan, still two or three years ago, now, I think, beginning to be forgotten. And what I want to ask you, uh, whether is the place, apart from all this unprepossessing and not auguring well circumstances, is there still way of defining uh, the left of society, the left of politics, the left of economics, the left of social, social relations, the left of culture in an independent way, in terms of its own, in terms of setting agenda as once in history, uh, it is uh, the left, social democracy, did. Well, I think that uh, there are two ways in which it can be done. Uh, it is uh, the both ways are leading towards uh, what I would like to call a self assertive left. A left that instead of apologizing for its opposition to the dominant opinion, to the demands that opinion justifies, and so the realities it represents, strives to create or protects, to be tested against the values which which it, the Left, holds as non-negotiable. The first asserts that it is the duty of the community to ensure its individual members against individually suffered misfortune. And the second principle, which is specifically on the left side of the specter, and which has lost nothing of its importance and its uh, urgency, averse that just as the carrying power of a bridge needs to be measured by the power of the weakest pillar, so the quality of a society ought to be measured by the quality of life of its weakest members. That's something very, very distinct and very, very special is left, very distinct from uh, right-wing agenda. Uh, Principles on which uh, there can be no compromise, as I said, self-assertive left in my view, would accept these two principles as not open to negotiation. Other conditions in which, when they were first formulated directly or indirectly in a somewhat dissolved, mediated way, nevertheless, then there was a certain kind of a social situation which now has been restored uh, uh, through the processes which I mentioned before. Well, the last, I think, is best described. As the stance of permanent criticism of the realities of social life, of social life that stops of the values they profess and promise to serve. The Left is not committed to any specific model of human togetherness. The sole model it refuses to tolerate is a regime that deems itself to be all right, to be almost perfect, or at least the best of the conceivable, of the possible world, world, and for that reason immune to questioning. As Cornelius Castoradis several years ago pointed out, what is wrong with uh, our self-considered and self-satisfied society is precisely that it tends to stop questioning itself. And uh, considers all questioning here unnecessary, disturbing, just diverting from the business at hand, and unwelcome. Well, the left also, I suggest to you ladies and gentlemen, uh, stands for awareness that the job of making the world more hospitable to human dignity, dignity of all humans, remains unfinished. And for the principled action that derives from such awareness. Nothing can make the left jobless. Nothing can make the left jobless. Except the completion of that job. However, completion of that job, I suggest, is one event event unlikely to happen very soon. Um, well, to sum up this part what what I wanted to say Either human future will have its left, or humanity has no future. I don't see the third possibility. The world, which stopped criticizing itself, which stopped uh, being aware of the degree of its injustice, of its inequality, of the amount of suffering, ah, uh, well. Uh, has not much future in, uh, in uh, the face of the new challenges, of the new tasks which are emerging currently in front of us, in front of all of us. I will name only a few of them. One is the uh, ongoing diasporization, of uh, of the world diasporization the new phenomenon the new phenomenon migration ladies and gentlemen is a constant accompaniment of modern living because modern way of life is a big big uh, (coughs) factory of redundant people redundant people are compulsively unavoidably produced in the process of modernization, modernization, uh, as you probably know, and as you probably agree, uh, we would agree um, consists of predominantly of two processes: one is this constant order building and con- order rebuilding rebuilding, and whenever you build a new order, whenever you have a image and design of a new order immediately some people will uh, appear to be redundant, unfitting the new, better, improved system you are building. Uh, I once described the sort of an attitude characteristic of the modern uh, mentality, the gardener attitude. Well, you know very well whoever of you, and probably most of you have your own gardens, that if you are a gardener, you have an image of an ideal harmony in this garden, you know which plants should grow where, and something, uh, one thing which spoils your plants and infuriates you are plants which plant themselves in the wrong places where they were not planted. You call them weeds, and you know what to do with weeds? Well, uh, of course, poison them, uproot, burn out, and so on. Now, if we apply apply the same vision to human society, then, of course, the matter becomes very, very serious indeed. But anyway, the uh, the, uh, uh, redundant people are produced. They were produced from the very beginning. But at the very beginning of modernity, Europe had the privilege of being the only modernized and modernizing part of the world. All the rest was pre modern, looked down one's shoulder, and therefore for Europe, the rest of the world looked very much like uninhabited, uninhabited, uncultivated land, nowhere, no man's land of opportunities and uh, the uh, redundant people of Europe, produced by the building of New Order, uh, were transformed into colonial expeditionary armies, colonial administration, or simply colonizers, settling in South America in North America, empty lands. There were some uh, people in the bushes, uh, the now-called native nations, but then, of course, um, uh, uh, called by different names, like savages, and uh, no one would uh, take seriously their presence. Uh, According to contemporary uh, estimates, uh, something between 40 and 60 million Europeans emigrated in 19th century and beginning of 20th century to other continents, and at that time it was really tremendously big quantity of people. Well, I I forgot to mention the second uh, factory of redundant people. The second factory, of course, was what we call the economic progress. Economic progress means if you scratch the issue, the, the, the ocean, Uh, It means that uh, what has been done with larger amount of uh, labor force and with greater cost is now done with lesser cost and lesser amount of people, Uh, which means that with this more efficient way of doing things, people who practice, who get their living, earn their living, from a different kind of production, from a different kind of work, become redundant. They can't simply stand the uh, competition uh, with uh, people practicing more efficient way of doing things. For one reason or another, a lot of redundant people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the whole world has been modernized. Modernity is triumphant. I know that uh, very many contemporary theories, just to placate a guilty conscience, which we sometimes may have uh, during sleepless night, um, speak about multiple uh, multiple uh, modernities. okay, I agree there are modern that you can uh, wear different dresses when you are modern in very many other respects also modernities could be variegated, could be different. One thing, however, is common to all of them and uh, the uh, what is common to all of them is the compulsive um, addictive modernization perpetual modernization when i was young student i already mentioned that it was unforgivably long ago uh, the uh, what was there i was taught by otherwise Quite wise teachers, that modernization is a road leading to becoming modern. Once you modernize yourself, you are modern, then you can relax, you can just cut the fruits from the mature tree and enjoy yourself. The results of modernization. Well, it was not to be the case, as you know, modernization consists precisely in inability, impossibility possibility uh, to stop modernizing. In the United States of America, ostensibly, the architects don't take any longer permission to, for construction of new buildings unless a uh, permission to dismantle them in 20 years' time is attached. No one builds uh, gothic cathedrals today. Uh, Richard Sennett professor of the same uh, school where we are here, where we are now, uh, points, uh, pointed out that fully uh, fully well-working uh, companies are dismantled and gutted simply to prove that they are capable to survive. That is the paradox of compulsive and uh, addictive modernization. Which means, that if modernity triumph, is triumphant, then the whole planet is at the moment modernizing. Not like our ancestors in Europe, 100 or 150 years ago or 200 years ago. They were the sole modernizers of the planet, the sole producing uh, producing, uh, as I said, the redundant people. My childhood was spent in Poland, uh, which was not yet modernizing at that time, and uh, the idea of redundancy uh, didn't exist, didn't exist. Uh, some economists, wise economists, were uh, aware that in Poland there were, at that time, in the 1930s, 8 million invisible unemployed. In what sense? Invisible and employed. Uh, In a peasant economy, there was no notion of rubbish, of things unnecessary, things to be thrown away. Whatever has been produced in the household or in the farm was recycled back into the household or the farm, and uh, ho- however many children were born into a peasant ca- family, there was always a place at the table for every one of them and some job to be done in the farmyard or in the stable or in the sty or, or uh, in the field. If Poland started modernizing then, if industry was built in the 1930s on a massive scale, Uh, If uh, uh, labor exchanges were open, then immediately economists said there would be 80 million unemployed in Poland. That was the calculation. Now all all countries in the world are more or less in the same situation. They all are modernizing very fast, very quickly, sometimes much faster than our ancestors managed to do in here. And uh, uh, therefore, they produce their own redundant people. Uh, with one difference, that there are no no man's lands left on the globe. That is, uh, that uh, these kinds of migrants set into motion, kicked out from their habitual way of life, uh, are not accompanied by expeditionary armies, They can't count on a powerful fleet to defend them and so on. On the contrary, they lock to the door, which are more or less uh, uh, locked uh, in front of them. But if they go, if they manage to go through the door, if if they manage to uh, settle, well, to arrive uh, into other countries where there is some bread and uh, drinking water, Then, uh, ladies and gentlemen, they form diasporas. They are not any longer subject to the 19th and uh, first half of the 20th century way of dealing with strangers. That way was the way of assimilation. Assimilation, uh, the metaphor taken from biology, in biology it means uh, metabolism, uh, in in by, imbibing foreign substances and transforming them into the tissue of your own body, that's how you assimilate the substances. Now the same, when applied to uh, human relations, it means doing the same with the newcomers, with the strangers, which uh, they came uh, to uh, be your next-door neighbors and live here. But with the one dominant strategy of treating the strangers, which was assimilation, the idea of the need of developing some sort of a skill, some sort of knowledge, some sort of procedure, methodology of living with this difference permanently, such idea did not occur because the presence of strangers, presence of difference, was assumed to be a temporary irritant. Now they are strangers, but sooner or later, or rather sooner than later, they will become like their other selves, they parts of our body. The era of assimilation is over, ladies and gentlemen. And if you follow what's, uh, uh, what's happened to guest arbeiter in Germany, for example, which came uh, mostly from Turkey, uh, you will see the uh, realization now. That's why uh, Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel, uh, Merkel uh, famously said that multi doesn't work, because Turks want to be at the same time loyal citizens of Germany, which they are, and Turks. Something which uh, uh, 100 years ago would be unthinkable. Today, is quite a normal demand. They see no difference, no contradiction, no opposition between being good Germans and at the same time retaining uh, their own Turkish identity. I don't know uh, whether to believe it or not, but I read somewhere from some social uh, researchers that here in London uh, allegedly, uh, uh, next to each other, live about 70 different diasporas. That, in fact, uh, uh, London is archipelago of diasporas, diasporas of all sorts, of ethnic, religious, linguistic, cultural uh, character, but diasporas. Diasporas which, while being inserted and uh, incorporated and interacting with the greater society, want to retain their own difference, their own separate identity, and manage to do just that. Of course, that creates a lot of social tensions. And that creates also a lot of capital for all sorts of fundamentalist, populist, right-wing political movements. So it is a new combination, new collection of big problems, of big problems which uh, uh, were never confronted before, and to which I think, I believe, there is uh, no way in which uh, the left began, even began, even started, even contemplated to develop their own different, distinct policy uh, measured to the grandiosity of the problems which this diasporization creates. That's one one, uh, uh, example of new challenges, another example Is the question of sustainability of the planet there are some opinions ladies and gentlemen that if uh, the rest of the world the rest of the planet wanted to reach the level of consumption which we all practice daily as the natural way of living then we would need uh, five planets not one and uh, uh, as far as I know there is yet as yet no great chance of acquiring four more planets to accommodate humanity. So we are facing the limit now. We are facing the limit. I am not speaking about uh, the climate uh, changing, about the warming up of planet. I am just uh, speaking about things in which clearly, undoubtedly, without the uh, possibility of any objecting. Objecting, showed the catastrophe being slowly but steadily produced but by, uh, by our own way of life, our own consumist way of life. Uh, the situation is tragic here in this respect for one reason above all, that uh, uh, the capitalist system and the left inside capitalist system followed the example, did not develop did not develop any other skills and other method of dealing with arising social problems except increased production and increased consumption. Whenever there is a crisis, whenever there is a discontent, whenever there is, uh, uh, there is there are new demands emerging, the response or economic crisis credit crisis or whatever the response of politicians is always the same Uh, we hope for recovery from depression who will be the avant-garde of recovery of course the consumers if you reach to your uh, uh, wallets if you reach uh, for your um, uh, credit cards and start shopping again everything will be uh, resolved That is about the uh, macroeconomic problems. About the microeconomic problems, I wonder whether you notice how much uh, the experts of marketing um, skillfully, cleverly capitalized on uh, even the best instincts of uh, human creatures like us. For example, on uh, difficulties which we have with maintaining our relationship with near and dear and uh, the d- a desire for love and love which is documented documented shown to be a loving relationship. love means more giving rather than taking, so whoever loves. Must be ready for self sacrifice, for offering, uh, for offering the other loved part of the relationship uh, something which comes at a cost to him or to her. All right. In consumer society, that means going to shop and buying gifts. And in order to buy gifts, ladies and gentlemen, you have to earn money in order to earn money you have to compete with uh, your mates in the company so the next tour, the next uh, round of cuts won't affect you but your neighbours. So you have to be more and more time away from home. So what's happening to your self-sacrifice? You can't spend time with your child who wants your help in doing homework who just wants, you know, to, to be huddled, or who wants to you to listen to the awful adventure he had today in the schools and so on? He cannot. Uh, he can't be. He can't be. Uh, uh, he can't uh, show uh, properly the love, his love or her love, uh, in uh, to the partner in marriage because uh, she or he want him or her to listen uh, to the problems, very serious problems, very important problems, which were presumed to be shared by both, but which are not. Well, uh, the uh, uh, result is, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, uh, if uh, GNP does not grow, If there is so-called zero growth, there is a panic in the country. What does it mean, GnP, ladies and gentlemen? GnP is measured by the amount of money changing hands. In other words, by the intensity of shopping activity, selling and buying activity. So if you fall under the car, and then uh, uh, have a lengthy convalescence, and pay over your nose for Uh, for that gnp goes up when you hope uh, when you help your neighbor to repair some implement you know in household which went bust and you do it out of love for your neighbor or sympathy without taking money gnp doesn't react at all so uh, it is you know combined effort of gnp on one side and the uh, pressure of the markets on the other, uh, which result in uh, the prospect of resolving issues by increasing consumption uh, cannot be stopped. And that presents tremendous danger to uh, the future of uh, the planet the question of sustainability of the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, our chairman signaled to me, using his uh, quite legitimate power, that I'm talking too much, <laughs> and that I should stop. And therefore, I'm going to stop. I cut part of my paper, but I want to give uh, voice to someone else at the end, as the last accent of what I go- wanted to say. Um, I want to give voice to Richard Rorty. Uh, Still a few years ago, the name, the household name uh, in every distinguished school, like uh, London School of Economics, but uh, another contribution to the idea how soon, how quickly the world changes, now not read any longer, unfortunately. So I want you to read him again in order to encourage you Uh, I'll read a uh, fragment from what he wrote shortly before his death. We should raise our children to find it intolerable that we who sit behind desks and punch keyboards are paid ten times as much as people who get their hands dirty cleaning our toilets. And a hundred times as much as those who fabricate our keyboards in the third world. We should ensure that they worry about the fact that the countries which industrialized first have a hundred times the wealth of those which have not yet industrialized. Our children need to learn early on to see the inequalities between their own fortunes and those of other children, as neither the will of God, nor the necessary price for economic efficiency, but as an inevitable tragedy, they should start thinking as early as possible about how the world might be changed, so as to ensure that no one goes hungry while others have a surplus. The children, sorry for the length of it, but it's a very important statement, the children need to read Christ's message of human fraternity alongside Marx and Engels' account of how industrial capitalism and free markets, indispensable as they have turned out to be, make it very difficult to institute that fraternity. They need to see their lives as given meaning by efforts toward the realization of the moral potential inherent in our ability to communicate our needs and our hopes to one another. They should learn stories both about Christian congregations meeting in the catacombs and about workers' rallies in the city squares. For both, have played equally important role in the long process of actualizing this potentiality. The inspirational value of the New Testament and the Communist Manifesto is not diminished by the fact that many millions of people were enslaved, tortured or starved to death by sincere, morally earnest people who recited passages from one or the other text in order to justify their deeds. Memories of the dangers of the Inquisition and the interrogation rooms of the KGB, of the ruthless greed and arrogance of the Christian clergy and the communist nomenclatura, should indeed make us reluctant to hand over power to people who claim to know what God or history wants, but there is a difference between knowledge and hope. Hope often takes the form of false prediction, as it did in both documents, but hope for social justice is nevertheless the only basis for a worthwhile human life.
0: Right. Um, well, we have some time for some questions. May I ask you, please, uh, to identify yourselves clearly, and the microphone will come to you. I may also ask you to try to be disciplined in your questions so that it doesn't um, end up being longer than the answer that you uh, anticipate receiving. We can start there at the back in the centre.
2: I'm doing social science and psychology, and I'm in my third year, and um, this is my second degree. I've got a master's as well. My name's Fatma, and um, what I like to do is um, ask a question about the, the, uh, the consumer society, and the has society? it gone so bad, so bad. that um, a country could be taken over by the consumers? <laughs> because as I was reading, there's, there's people buying things from London. Indians, you know, Chinese, Turks, and everyone is in a um, diaspora, and uh, there's always going to be violence between cultures, but has the consumer society taken us so far that we can't say no to money, and we've been taken over? That's what I want to know. Also, also, I would like to mention I'm Turkish, but um, being, having been brought up in London, I do feel intensely about being taken over by people who have money, but bad, uh, mostly are crooks, because I've had dealings with these people. Okay. Thank
0: you. Uh, what do you want? Each one? I okay. think we'll, we'll take a couple more and then Sigmund can select. I don't 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 it's it's yes. your decision.
1: No.
0: Can we have down here, please, the gentleman with his hand up? Sorry, um, there's so many people. That's it. This one. Oh, yes,
3: hi, uh, Gareth Dale from Brunel University. Um, uh, Professor Byron, you, su- you suggested that riches these days are acquired by um, by selling things, and that that's something new. But already in Georgian Britain, political economists were pointing out that this, back then, centuries ago, was 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 new. The and politi- and critical crit- critics uh, from the left in the nineteenth century were uh, developing um, a critique of that system. <laughs> And the old image of radical socialist um, cr- critique of capitalism from the 19th century focused on capital and labor, something we still have today. There's, of the workforce today, 25 million, 28 million people are in wage labor relations. The, the fetishization of the factories has, has never been necessary to, to, the, to the radical left. And if you look at the great social movements today, uh, in recent years, you've had, you've had some focused in the large factories, Mahala in Egypt, for example, but you've had other very radical movements in places like El Alto in Bolivia, which do not require um, the large factories to act as kind of dynamos of, of resistance. So I was wondering if you could say a little more on that.
0: Okay. This gentleman... Here.
2: Go on, please. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Baumann, I have a question um, about the financial crisis. So, (laughs) why do you think it is that the left did not gain significant power after the financial crisis um, when capitalism um, turned out to, to fail?
0: Yes, come back and
1: and, uh, answer from Uh, here. I'll start answering the questions. I don't know whether I will uh, meet all the issues, uh, all the expectations, because there are many issues involved there. Uh, But all uh, three questions are circling around more or less the same issue of the passage uh, from society of producer to society of consumers. To start with, the first question which I heard is uh, the problem, the the, the first thing I would like to answer is that in society of consumers, the plight of the poor, indolent, uh, people at the bottom of social hierarchy and so on, is particularly unfortunate uh, because uh, the poor uh, uh, were accompanying every human society in history, and probably they will be uh, for many, many uh, years yet to come uh, living among us, with us. But the Society of Consumers is the first society in which uh, poor have no uh, socially acceptable welcome and considered important function to perform. Uh, in medieval times the poor were God sent gifts because they uh, have provided us, uh, everybody who had some money to spare, uh, for, uh, uh, provided the opportunity of saving one's soul, uh, do- doing good deeds simply. And, um, if uh, not for the poor, the chances of saving your soul would be considerably diminished. Uh, in uh, in uh, uh, the early modern times, as you know, in society of producers, um, unemployed people, people who couldn't uh, put uh, ends together, uh, tied up uh, ends together, were considered to be a reserve army of labor. Uh, very important, because the power of the country was measured at that time by the quality and number and quality of prospective soldiers and prospective workers in the factory, how many of uh, those people can face to the difficulties harrowing difficulties of factory floor and battlefield? There was a panic in England during the Boer War when the recruiting co- committees had to disqualify about half of potential recruits, because they were undernourished, um, they were illiterate, they were not provided for properly, and unable to face the uh, challenges of the soldiery. soldiery. So uh, 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 the the, the fashionable concepts today, uh, coined by another professor of uh, Doctor, uh, professor of London School of Economics, beyond left and right. Um, but at that time, in a uh, society of producers, the welfare state—I prefer to call it social state—was beyond left and right. It was quite clear. Every general would tell you that if there are reserves for the coming war. They should be taken good care of, provided with everything necessary in order to secure future victory. The same applies to the future workers instead of, uh, in case, uh, the boom, of ec- economic boom you return. Only in a consumer society, the uh, uh, poor people are, are simply without function and to be absolutely cynical it could be said that all society would be so much better if they somehow packed up their bigger belongings and went away or simply disappeared from horizon why because their only function is to be a burden on taxpayer and the unpleasant job whichever government right or left is doing uh, it for they force Uh, the governments, the honest politicians to do cuts, which are unpopular and may lose them the next election. Um, That's the only function. Um, You can't, it it would be stupid, idiotic, actually, to coin a phrase, reserve army of consumers. They are not reserve (laughs) army of consumers. They are not in the reserve army, they they don't have wallets, they don't have uh, bank accounts, they don't have credit cards. By no stretch of imagination, they will become consumers. Well, some non-consumers became consumers in London for three nights, as you remember, in the way of burning factories and stealing the goods. That's the only open way, no other way, they are not a reserve army of consumers. And providing them uh, with, uh, uh, with a social you know, help, social assistance, uh, is not in any way beyond left and right. On the contrary, today, uh, because we live in a society of consumers, and not because uh, our uh, nations became poorer, they haven't become poorer than they were 50 years ago, but because we live in society of consumers, um, the, it is now dismantling of the welfare state which is beyond right and left. Uh, the question, the second question was about the relation of capital and labor as the basis of capitalism. Yes, Jürgen Habermas uh, in the legitimation crisis, famously wrote about the fact that state, capitalist state function of capitalist state is to secure transaction between capital and labor, because the elementary cell of the capitalist uh, society is uh, precisely buying and selling of labor. What does it mean that capitalist state must take care of it? Two things it means. First, it must make the capitalist capable of paying the price of the labour force, and secondly, it must secure that uh, the uh, potential labour force coming to the market is attractive enough attractive enough to arouse desire of the capital to buy them. Uh, I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, 30 years after this book was published, uh, one would say that uh, uh, the uh, uh, essential cell of our contemporary society is not so much the encounter between capital and labor, but the encounter between the seller and buyer, or between client and and commodity. And that's entirely different, different situation. It does not include. It does not include. They are uh, uh, just uh, financing the non-profit giving kind of satisfaction of need, which is characteristic of the poor people. They are not bringing profit. They, they are not people who. Uh, 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 change their blackberries uh, every second month and buy uh, their iPhones uh, every three months, throwing old ones uh, to the dustbin. There are those people who are following the most profitable novelties on the market. They are beyond hope. Uh, Financial crisis: uh, I didn't notice any particular. I don't know. There are people who know more about uh, contemporary politics than I do. Um, I'm not following that closely, and uh, London School economics since its creation, was the very center of brains who uh, followed very closely and defined all the all, all two the and throws of uh, political life. But I didn 't I didn't notice any particularly socialist and a particular leftist uh, reaction to financial crisis. Uh, I think the reaction was agreed between uh, all uh, leaders of the nation states, uh, whatever they represented right or wing, uh, that was again. <coughs> uh, if one w- 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 uh, wants to make a joke, an issue beyond left and right. The reaction was similar. and The reaction was recapitalize the instruments of disaster. Banks, by common agreement, created in their uh, uh, unbelievable greed uh, the uh, new category of population people above their ears in debt, they considered that people who are not living on credit, who try to make their means meet, are completely useless from the banking point of view they don't bring any profit really only if you if you took your loan and if you pay interest regularly month by month then you are, of, uh, you are a good citizen, you are of any use for the system which uh, keeps uh, society alive. So, uh, uh, obviously it had to happen. Rosa Luxemburg uh, long, long, long ago uh, noticed already that uh, capitalists survive by uh, incorporating new mm-hmm. virgin lands and subjecting them to cultivation. But the extra surplus value which the cultivation of virgin uncultivated so far lands brings have limit, natural limit. Uh, there is a, in economics there is a law of diminishing returns, so at some point you can't go any further. Now, in the United States of America, everybody who could and everybody who couldn't got their mortgage loan and bought their property and there was no more virgin land left. Then there was collapse. The reaction of the government to recapitalize the banks. What does it mean? Think about it. It simply means that previously people brought income to banks because they were enticed by 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 commercial announcements, we are a bank which likes to say yes. <laughs> and uh, remember this uh, uh, advertisement: um, we are the smiling bank. Uh, remember the amount of letters which was which were delivered every day. Uh, to your mailbox uh, offering you a new credit card to abolish your debt, accumulate your debt which you had on 20 other uh, credit cards on this one so it will be easier to persecute you in case you don't pay. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, that was the ultimate cause of the crisis, of of the credit collapse and the reaction to it. Was uh, once people stopped be bringing money on their own will to fill the banking coffers, we will do it through coercion, state coercion, by taxes. Do you know that these financial banks already taxed your grandchildren, probably? Who knows? Perhaps your great grandchildren we uh, are above our ears in debt and it is our uh, uh, offspring which you have to pay the price offspring i'm saying offspring, because i'm thinking about myself i'm very old i won't uh, be paying my taxes very long to come (laughs) but uh, as i look around it will be the life full of uh, taxation due to the short consumer orgy so tragically completed.
0: <laughs> if we are disciplined, we've got time for one more round of questions. Can you start here in the front row, please?
2: Yeah. Uh, yes, i um, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Rebecca Carl, New York University professor of Modern Chinese History. Um, I wanted to ask about your notion of the left. Is the left is the task of the left still the seizure of state power? If capital is now transnational, what is the notion of the left that is commensurate to that transnational notion?
1: Well, I'm very
0: grateful that you are... <laughs> oh, good. Do you want
1: to answer that one? I am very grateful that you have raised this question because that was exactly what I wanted to speak about when <laughs> the powerful <laughs> chairman cut me out. <laughs> uh, that's, that's another problem, tremendous. new another new challenge which is confronting the left all over the world uh the challenge which very briefly i would describe, i would characterize as the coming separation and divorce between power and politics uh that's a problem what is power power is ability to do things what is politics politics in the the, the shortest abbreviation really politics means the ability to decide which things ought to be done. Uh, when I was young, and old people reminisced this uh, blissful time of youth, uh, the uh, answer to this uh, question uh, where to find power in politics uh, would be obvious to everybody. People never asked uh, such a question. It was obvious to everybody through a long, long history of modern times uh, that uh, Power and politics reside in one household. The household is called nation-state. There is power and there is politics. So that there is no power without political control, or there should be shortly no power left without political control. On the other hand, uh, politics, once decided what things ought to be done, is able to do them. Ladies and gentlemen, we live now through the period of uh, crisis of ages. Now, uh, I believe that uh, uh, the major issue today—it is uh, an important issue, but not the most important, most difficult issue to answer—is uh, the uh, question: uh, What is to be done? I think we can relatively, with a uh, easily, with a due application of goodwill come to the conclusion what is to be done to save us from approaching catastrophe? What is really impossible to answer today is who is going to do it. Who is going to do it simply because of the divorce between power and politics. Much of the power evaporated into the space, which is called by Manuel Castells, the great Spanish sociologist, a uh, uh, Space of flows, space of flows, but all political organs developed by our ancestors, by our fathers, grandfathers, and so on, um, uh, remain as before local. Their coalitions are ad hoc, their coalitions are very much like friendships on Facebook. You enter them today, you break them tomorrow and nothing happens, there is no effect on the rest of the world. That's exactly what's happening to coalition, ad hoc uh, marriages of convenience, which like all marriages are temporary affairs and uh, probably more even temporary than the the marriages proper. So uh, it's a crisis of ages. I suspect, perhaps I'm wrong here, but I suspect that the fact that we do stopped thinking about the model of good society, we don't have a clear, uh, let let it be utopia, but more or less clearly depicted, clearly portrayed vision of a society which would be really good and worth living in, the fact that we stopped thinking about that. It comes from the daily repeated daily repeated spectacle of impotence of nation-state. Uh, leaders of the most uh, powerful econ- economies of Europe, Angela Merkel and Monsieur Fra- Sarkozy, uh, meet on Friday in order to agree policy how to save Greece or Spain or Italy or uh, Ireland, or whatever, then they uh, cannot sleep on Saturday and on Sunday, waiting for Monday until stock exchanges open, and then they will know whether they did the right thing or the wrong thing. Uh, that is the outcome of the between power and politics. Uh, politics is still local. Uh, power is already global the power which decides our standards of living, our prospects, and uh, chances of our children uh, float uh, in the space which is politics-free, politics-free. And that's another challenge, new situation uh, to which left was, like everybody else by the way, was completely unprepared. What would be the left response to this challenge? What would be that? Uh, after all, all plans of uh, building socialist society or making it more socialist than it is were addressed to the nation state, able, capable of doing it, of putting it in place, if there is the right will to do so. Uh, this hope, this hope, uh, is uh, well uh, no longer realistic. No longer realistic. And what we are witnessing today is people groping in the dark, looking looking for alternative ways of deciding which things ought to be done. So far with very little success. I've been people on the streets, people on the public squares, people... uh, Um, uh, organizing so-called occupation, occupation of this, of that, and staying there as long as the demands are met. Perhaps, people think, if governments cannot deliver, perhaps we can do it ourselves somehow. Uh, Jury is still out. I don't know what the outcome will be. I see that uh, Somehow, uh, this kind of uh, movimiento los indignados, as they call it in uh, Spain, uh, they, they this sort of action is of relatively more effect in totalitarian authoritarian countries than it is in democratic countries. Uh, people occupied Wall Street for many months already, and uh, I would, I would give any price to anybody who you show me uh, how, where is the inch or half of inch of one thousandth of inch of change in Wall Street business because of this occupation. I just wonder whether they uh, noticed that they have been occupied as you know uh, uh, Wall Street is the first stock exchange in the world which already returned to pre- credit crisis levels. In spite of being the only one stock exchange regularly occupied.
0: Well, I'm afraid our time is out. Um, I hope you will uh, join me one last time in thanking Zygmunt Baum for the evening.